You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, You can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while you're hunting deer. Thank you so much for tuning in with us this week. We've got a great episode with you. I was able to catch up with my buddy Jake Hendrickson from Whitetail Partners, Michigan. Now, I mentioned a couple of, um, I guess, months ago now, that I am now a partner with Whitetail Partners, serving Georgia and some surrounding areas. Well, Jake is our partner in Michigan, so he, he works some in Michigan. He works a little bit in Ohio and a couple of other places. Jake has been doing habitat management and improvement for a while, and he's been doing it at a really, really high level. Now, beginning last week, we started a series about food plots. So last episode, we talked with Dr. Grant Woods about how to get started with the no-till food plot system. Now, this week we're talking with Jake about food plot placement, about food plot design, and about some of the things that Jake does to help increase and improve daytime movement and use by deer of your food plots. Now, a lot of times where guys go wrong is they put a food plot in a spot where they're going to have to bust the deer out of there every time they enter or leave their property or it's just not close enough to bedding for the deer to make it there uh, during daylight hours. So we talk all about where you need to be putting your food plots on your property, how you need to be setting them up so that you can get the deer to do what you want them to do so that you can get good shot opportunities and so forth. And uh, yeah, just a great conversation. Now, before we get to that, though, uh, right now, guys, I know uh, turkey seasons are beginning, strangely enough, to wrap up around the country. It feels like turkey season just got here but a lot of states are wrapping up i see a lot of guys tagging out lots of folks are done Uh, but it's getting to that time of year when we can really start to shift our focus once again to all whitetails 
all the time. And if you're looking to gear up for this fall, one thing I would highly recommend you do is go check out a Tacticam 6.0 camera. Starting to film my hunts has been one of the greatest things that I have done. And if you notice, I don't have a lot of like YouTube content or video content out there. These videos are for my friends, for my family, for my kids to bring them home and show my, my, my family and my friends exactly what I was able to see while I was in the field, to share those experiences with people that weren't there in the woods with me. The Tacticam 6.0 makes that super, super simple. They've got great mounts and adapters for pretty much anything you want to do with it. My personal favorites, I love the uh, stabilizer mount that goes on the front of your bow. I also really, really like the bendy clamp mount. You can check those out on their website as well. But the 6.0 is going to give you 4K, 60 frame per second footage. It has great image stabilization. The new housing is fantastic uh, because it's not totally round like the old housings were. I didn't know uh, before that I that I didn't really care for the all-round housings. But these, these 6.0s that have kind of a square top to them, man, they're really, really nice. And so you know that when you've got this thing into your, your mount or your adapter or whatever it is, once it's in there, if your mount or adapter is level and straight, then the camera is level and straight. Before, with the 5.0, you could run into problems with, you know, the mount maybe being straight, but the camera sitting crooked inside of that. Well, all of that's gone now with the new 6.0 camera. Go check them out, Tacticam.com. Also, to get you geared up for the fall, you should go check out HuntworthGear.com because Huntworth makes some of the best camo out there at a super, super affordable price. The stuff is comfortable. It is durable. It keeps you cool when it's supposed to keep you cool. It keeps you warm when it's supposed to keep you warm. I have not been disappointed at all by the patterns. I turkey hunted this year in uh, uh, not not the best kinds of hides. I mean, some of the places where I was, I, I really felt a little bit exposed, but did not get picked off a single time. I didn't get picked off a single time by a deer in a tree last year, at least not from one seeing me. I had a deer smell me. But uh, I love that tarnin pattern. Been rocking it for the fall, rocking it for the spring. Totally impressed with that. So go check them out, huntworthgear.com. Get geared up for everything that you need come fall. And then finally, Onyx Hunt. If you're not already using Onyx Hunt, I I really don't know how you make it in and out of the woods and uh, how you do a lot of your map scouting. I guess there are some other options out there, and uh, I've used them. I've had a bunch of the other ones that are out there, especially some of the ones that promise, you know, we can predict when deer move and tell you exactly how they're going to move given these weather conditions. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm just not buying it. There are too many. There are too many studies out there that show that that stuff is just unreliable at best. So anyway, I'm going to stick with Onyx for a number of reasons. Number one, it is the most user friendly by far. It's the cleanest when you open it up. It's the easiest to use. It makes it super simple to share your pins with others. Go check them out on their website to learn more, onyxmaps.com, or you can find the Onyx Hunt app at the app store of your choice. You can get a seven-day free trial right now uh, if you are a new customer. And if you are not a new customer, if you've already got the Onyx Hunt app, I would highly recommend you consider upgrading to the Elite membership. It has tons of extras that come with that, tons of perks, tons of benefits. So you really need to go check that out. You can learn more at onyxmaps.com. Now let's jump right into this conversation talking food plot placement and food plot design with Jake Hendrickson. Joining me for this week's episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast is Jake Hendrickson with Whitetail Partners. Jake, welcome to the show. 
How's it going, Josh? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I'm I'm glad you could uh, glad you could come on. You're a guy that I was familiar with before I ever knew you. Uh, so I was familiar with your content on YouTube. I'd heard of you. Uh, in fact, one of the first times that I had uh, breakfast with our mutual friend Sam Billhorn, um, yeah. he was asking if I was aware of you, and we talked about your content. I was like, "Yeah, I know, I, I know the guy," and he was like, oh, I, I've, "I've talked to him a couple times." And I just thought, "Man, that's really cool." So uh, now we both work kind of together with with Whitetail Partners. So as we kind of kick things off, why don't you tell me about your background doing uh, Whitetail property management and habitat improvement, and how you got to where you are today? All right, yeah. Um, I, I've kind of grown up hunting my entire life, uh, but it didn't really start the habitat improvement or habitat management really until after college. Uh, once I, like around 2009, 2010 is when I really started getting into the habitat management. Uh, we, we joined the quality deer management, and they kind of really opened our eyes to what was possible uh, with with property improvement. And, and really once I... Uh, once kind of like our eyes were opened with what, what was possible, I just kind of went down the rabbit hole of, of what we could do with, with uh, you know, TSI, timber stand improvements, putting in food plots, you know, different types of hunting strategies. And I, I tried to learn as much as I could as, as fast as I could. Um, worked on our family's property for several years. Uh, and then I purchased my own property uh, in 2018. And then right around that same time is when I had, other uh, friends of the family were seeing kind of the, the successes that we were having. And then they were asking me to help out with their properties, like help set them up. And so I thought, ah, you know what, maybe we could turn this into some sort of a business here. I, I had learned a lot from other habitat consultants indirectly, but I thought, you know what, maybe I could actually turn this into a, a business. So then I, uh, yeah, help, helped a few people out, uh, friends of the family. And then I, uh, started charging, uh, around, you know, 2018, and then I think 2019 is when I made it official, uh, a business. And then um, I think it was last fall, I, I, uh, our mutual friend, Sam, Sam Billhorn, uh, I, I, had, I talked to him back and forth uh, quite a bit uh, as, as soon as we, as soon as I started uh, my, my business, Whitetail Evolution. And then uh, we just kind of bounced ideas back off, you know, from one another just to try to you know, see what, the, what you're doing. We weren't really competitors, so it didn't really matter. Just kind of share information and, and share what was working best, best practices. And then uh, last year uh, in the fall, Sam reached out and said he was looking to expand his team at Whitetail Partners and uh, wanted to know if I wanted to be the Michigan consultant. And of, of course, it, that was a huge honor. So uh, I, uh, I agreed to that. And so yeah, now I'm the, the Michigan consultant for, for Whitetail Partners. But yeah, I've been consulting on properties since around 2018 uh really kicked off probably you know with more with more with more jobs of 2019 uh to present but yeah we're doing anything anything from uh um yeah food plot management timber stand uh improvement management uh yeah property layout you name it we've done it yeah so I'm, i'm curious you're you're from michigan right like born and raised Born and raised, yeah. Okay. I run Grand Rapids, Michigan, is where, where I was born. Okay, gotcha. So we, I think Grand Rapids is where we would fly into. So my family's from northern, the northern part of the Lower Peninsula. So uh, I think we used to fly into yeah, Grand yep. Rapids when I was a kid. But uh, So I'm, I want to know what that aha moment looked like for you when you got, you said you guys joined what at the time was QDMA, 
and yeah, how, yep. what what was the the light switch? Was it just the testimony of other guys, or was there, you know, there, was there kind of some skepticism, and then you started using some of the techniques and tactics and started seeing that for yourself? So it, it was before two thousand nine. Our family, like myself included, we were the the very typical Michigan hunter. Like if if we saw a deer it was going down. It didn't matter what it was. Like maybe a spike would get a pass depending on who it walked by. Maybe, <laughs> you know, but it, really anything that walked by was, the, was the target. Yeah. And then we, we never even thought that it was possible to see anything, you know, older than a year and a half old deer. And that's all, that's really all we saw. It was, you know, our habitat was poor. Our hunting practices were poor. You know, we didn't really do anything, anything right. We didn't work on any habitat improvement whatsoever. And then when our uh, friend of the family invited us to that, you know, at the time it was quality deer management banquet, you know, you start talking to all these other hunters. They're all you know very enthusiastic about what they do. They want to show you everything they've been doing. They're so proud of their work. And you start looking at all this, like, holy cow, like this is, these are some of the things that we can be doing on our property to improve our hunting probability. And they're showing us the deer they have on their trail cameras. And it's like, holy cow, like, I didn't even think that was possible, you know, here. And it, it didn't really take long for once we actually, it, it, it was like overnight. Like we said, you know, we're, we're going to take this serious. We're going to, it just started with like changing the way you hunt, yeah. you know, let's not hunt so aggressively. Let's actually hunt these bedding areas more in the morning, these food sources in the afternoon. Let's try to attack the property, you know, in a non-invasive way. Um, and then we slowly got into the habitat improvement like we didn't like what i know now is i know way more now than what i did back then like we slowly um ticked up on the habitat improvement part but like we just continued to improve our property and, and it didn't take long before we were starting to see a lot older deer yes yeah, so I, I was gonna it, ask it really it really was well go ahead no i was just gonna say i was gonna ask you know how how long did it take before you guys started noticing like wow this is maybe it's not you know, before you saw a mature buck or something, but until you first started seeing the results of what you were doing differently and thinking, man, this, this really is impacting our hunting quality. I would say two years. Okay. It took two years. So the, the first season, uh, like maybe 2010 season, you know, it, it was normal season. The following season, uh, would be, was the 2011 season, uh, was, uh, was better. We was like, Oh my gosh, we're, we're seeing some, some nicer deer, but then you had 2012. So maybe, like, maybe that was three years. So you know, 10, 11, 12, 12, everything just kind of exploded at the same time. I think we, we shot a few really nice deer, uh, during the 2012 season yet, yeah, probably okay. at least a three-year-old. One of them was maybe five, but it was a, a really good year. And, and it, we've kind of carried that ever since. Yeah. What are, what are some of the, of the big mistakes that now Jake looks back and scratches his head and says, Oh man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. What, what mistakes did you, uh, did you run into or make that maybe nowadays you're helping your clients steer away from that? So there's, there's quite a few. So there's, there's hunting mistakes and then I guess there's habitat improvement mistakes. Uh, the hunting mistakes, uh, really, you know, how, how you're hunting. Like before we really changed our hunting tactics, we would go, we were, we were the, just like anyone else that, uh, probably your, your average hunter, we have a favorite stand. We'd go there every time. And the reason it's our favorite stand is because, well, during the pre rut and the rut, uh, 
you know, looking back, that's where we'd see all these, uh, we'd see the bucks moving. Now, they wouldn't really be older bucks, but they'd be bucks. And so that was our favorite stand. So opening day, which here is October 1st, where are you going? You're going to your favorite stand. And, you know, looking back, that's a terrible idea. And so that's something that I try <laughs> to make sure that I hammer home yeah. with people. Hey, let that, that is a great spot. Don't ignore it, but wait to go there because you're going to have a much higher probability of seeing a, a, a deer worth shooting if you, uh, if you wait. So that's probably one of my biggest hunting mistakes and then access to wind. You know, th- those are some of the big ones that we didn't really pay attention to before. We would just kind of access, we had a, a logging road right down the middle of our property, an old logging road. And the deer take that all the time. And then so do, so did we, that's how we'd get to our property. We'd walk right down the middle and branch off to different stands. Yeah. So it was, uh, looking back that that was definitely not the way we should have been approaching our property. Yeah. A couple of, couple of cringeworthy moves that, that now you look back and you're, you're like, Oh man. But, but I mean, realistically though, like think about the last 15 years or so doing what we do, like we're, where habitat management, property management, property layouts, how that has evolved over the years. I mean, right. obviously yeah. the quality deer management has been around for a long time. Food plotting has been around for a long time. A lot of those things really, really helped, um, you know, people kill bigger deer and, and hold larger numbers of older age class deer, which is obviously what we all want. But man, now with the way things are really getting dialed in, you've got guys, you don't need that thousand acres anymore. You don't need that 750 acres anymore. You've got guys who have, I mean, I've got a buddy, our joke all the time is his parents own the right five acres and they kill good deer Mm -hmm. there every single year. And they kill a lot of turkeys there every single year. They've got the right five acres given the neighborhood and what's around them. So because of the way a lot of this stuff has gotten dialed in, it has opened up possibilities for smaller landowners that weren't um, maybe just weren't realistic goals, you know, 15 years ago. Right. Yeah. The, like the smaller landowner that maybe is surrounded by hunters that don't share the same goals in the past, you know, he, it would have been a shot in the dark for that guy to, to see anything we're shooting. It, it, he'd be very discouraged. And while yep. it's still going to be, more on the difficult side, it's not going to be easy for him. Like he has a much higher probability, you know, knowing like, or setting his property up in the right way to hold these deer and to establish a movement pattern on his property to, to hopefully hold the deer with, within his property borders. Yeah. You, you can hopefully still have success, you know, with, uh, with neighbors that don't share the same goals. Or if you do have neighbors that share the same goals, you can really have success with a small property. Yeah. What, what would you say is that, um, is that smallest possible property to really begin to have high expectations that you're holding that buck a good portion of, for a good portion of the season during daylight, right? Like we're not saying these small properties are going to hold that buck's never going to leave that small property. That's, that's crazy. They definitely are going to leave that property. Right. My goal though, is always to say, let's design this in such a way that during hunting season, when this thing could get shot on another property, we want to hold him here as much as possible for the daylight hours, right? What would you say is the smallest property that, that you've seen guys have a ton of success on? Oh man, that's really tough. Like you said, it could be five acres. 
yeah. where it's just the right, where it's just the right five acres. Like we have a, there's a property uh, close to where we hunt that it, it's just a, it's a 12 acre um, piece of ground that it holds a lot of deer. And there's always at least one really nice bucket there. Now nobody ever hunts it. It's a, it's a property that doesn't get hunted, but so that's probably why he's in there. <laughs> but I mean, it, it doesn't take uh, very much land for to, for a deer to, call that area home and stay there for most of the day. It, it, you need to have really good cover. You need to have food and you, you need to leave it alone. Yeah. And so knowing that you can take any, almost any property and create that within the property borders to really increase your chances of holding that deer there. So, I mean, yeah. you could do it on 20 acres, but again, it, it kind of depends on the, on the neighborhood too. Like if, if you just, if you have 20 acres and your next door neighbor has, has this really awesome, uh, bedding swamp, it's going to be, it's going to be tough to beat that. But you, but, but then knowing that you can maybe pull deer out of it or, you know, create great cover on your property to make those deer feel comfortable as almost an extension of that swamp to move through your property to some food sources. Sure. So, but yeah, it, it kind of really depends on the, the neighborhood. Every single property is different, but it, it doesn't take much uh, ground to, to have success. Yeah, that's for sure. That's good. That's good. So, man, there there are so many different topics that that I'd love to pick your brain on, and I'm sure we'll do that more in the future. But right now, I've been doing a series on uh, food plots on the How to Hunt Deer mm-hmm. podcast, and so we're we're talking all about like from A to Z. We want to cover everything food plots because uh, number one, I think food plots are uh, they they were sold to us as a, for a long time as like the silver bullet for deer hunting. And mm. we quickly, we quickly realized they weren't that, um, you know, all you, all you had to do was hunt it wrong a couple of times and you realize, oh, okay, never mind. That that's not going to produce like it does on, you know, the, the Tecumati ranch, you know, that I'm watching on TV or whatever. Right. Yeah. It, it depends on where your property's at. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. Like if, yeah, if you're out in, <laughs> yeah. I, dude, I used to love watching those old, old shows, you know, down in Texas and that kind of thing where they'd show the food plot that was, uh, you know, had to be irrigated, uh, first of all. And you just right. see the deer piling it's in. Desert. It's just a strip of green. It's like a golf course. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's an, like an Arizona golf course. <laughs> man, how in the world did that thing get there? But um, so anyway, we're, we're covering kind of A to Z on, on food plots. Last week I talked with Grant Woods about um, starting to implement a no-till strategy for your food plots and kind of the benefits that that has and how really we should be thinking more along the lines of setting ourselves up for soil health rather than, you know, what can I dump on the ground every single year to make something grow here? You know, we should be amending and, and, and repairing and healing the soil, uh, as, as Grant would say, releasing the soil to do what it does uh, so that right. we're not having to dump a ton of lime. We're not having to dump a ton of fertilizer every single year. Uh, and so we have healthier plants, and, and it ends up being cheaper in the long run on, on the pocketbook. Um, Today though, exactly, I wanted to, yeah, like, with, oh, go ahead. That's oh no, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna, I was just gonna agree with that with just saying like, yeah, the, the if you can get into a no-till rotation, like you will definitely reduce your inputs, so that's gonna you know less fertilizer, less lime. That you're gonna have to use some to get started and, and get to where you want to be. But yeah, if you can stay with a no-till rotation, then yeah, most likely you probably can re- remove that altogether. Like your food plots will will do the work for you. Yeah, and I, I think that's probably going to be hard for some guys to swallow. Guys who are used to going in every fall, tilling everything up, 
and then, you know, planting like they normally do. Um, I, I think another thing that's probably difficult for guys to maybe make the switch to, uh, and maybe um, one of the biggest factors of guys not having the food plot success that they think they should be having or want to have is the location of their food plots, food plot placement, food plot design, you know, and putting a little bit more thought into how we set up and structure our food plots throughout our property. So that's why I wanted to have you on. That's, that's kind of your bread and butter when it comes to designing a property. Uh, I'll tell you how I grew up. I grew up, um, you find a spot that's open enough or a spot where you can pay a guy with a dozer and he opens up a spot that's easy to get to. We till up the ground, we throw out some buck forage oats and we lime and fertilize the heck out of it. And we cross our fingers and we hope that it produces, right? And then we go yep. hunt that spot every afternoon that we get the opportunity to, to, to hunt there. Um, some food plots, you have a ton of daytime movement. Some food plots, we would struggle to see deer at all during the day. And it's like, what's the difference? Why, why here and not there? What, what's going on here? So talk to me a little bit about, you know, maybe starting off food plot placement. What all informs your decision? Uh, and why is it so important to really put some thought into it? So I guess like we'll start kind of from the beginning, uh, what we're trying to do when we're setting up a property, we're really trying to establish a pattern. And it, right today we're going to be talking about food plots, which is one end of that pattern. But like you're going to have an area, hopefully on your property, where the deer are going to bed more likely than not. And we want these deer to move where we want them to move. And so food plots are a way that we do that. We're going to put a food plot in a certain section of the property to pull the deer out of their bedding areas and then yeah, hopefully influence them to, to move across the property, giving us uh, shot opportunities. So de- depending on where you put that food plot, you, know, you might be able to do that or you might not be able to do that. So that's, that's kind of the idea of, of uh, or the reason behind food plots besides the nutritional benefits. But from a strategy standpoint for hunting, it's to pull the deer out of the bedding area, it's the other end of the, uh, the movement pattern. Um, as far as location goes, there's a couple things that I'm looking at uh, when it comes to just deciding on where to put the food plot. Uh, and a lot of it kind of determines, like, I'm going to start with, with the, I guess, the landscape of the, the property. Like so, some areas are going to be really wet where you can't plant a food plot. Like you, you have to be able to physically plant a food plot on, in a certain spot. So there might be an area of the property that's, you know, I really want to put a food plot here, but you know, it's a 45 degree slope where I can't plant here. So I, you know, I have to find a new location. So you have to find a first an area that you're able to plant, but the, uh, you know, really that, that you're trying to, you have your bedding kind of on, on one side of the property, you kind of move away from that bedding to an area where you want to, try to pull those deer too. And then you try to find a location that you're actually able to plant. Um, another thing that's a, a big consideration for me is what does the neighborhood look like and where do these deer want to go? Like where do I think these deer want to end up? Because I personally deal with a lot of smaller landowners. I think my average property size for the, my clients is around 40 acres. So that's a smaller property. And most of these guys can't put in, destination food like they, they can't put in that that big field where these deer are going to be hanging out all night 
So the neighborhood though, most likely has something like that. And the deer are going to be going to this neighborhood field, you know, no matter what. And so what we got to try to do is find a way to give these deer some place to hang out before they get there. And a lot of times it's either the next door neighbor or maybe the neighbor two doors down that these deer are moving towards. And so then we can kind of establish, okay, this is where these deer want to go. We can kind of set up our food plots on the way, more of like a staging plot so they can kind of hang out there until last light and then move their way out into those neighborhood food plots. So there is, there's a lot to consider when it comes to like location of a food plot. Um, and then two, you need to make sure that you can get in and out of that food plot uh, without spooking deer. So if the first thing I do is figure out how we're going to access the property. And if you can't get around that area without spooking deer, then you can't put a food plot there. But uh, yeah, I mean, we kind of said went over a lot right there, but, there's, um, those are, I'd say the, the biggest things that I'd look for when determining a location for a food plot. Yeah. How, what are your thoughts? Uh, there are different schools of thought in, in the, the deer habitat world, let's say, uh, when it comes to food plot placement and especially regarding how close you get them to a property boundary. Um, when you're on a 20 or a 40, it can feel like everything's close to a property boundary. You know what I mean? No matter where you're at. Right. Uh, so tell me a little bit about yeah. your thoughts um, about where and how you might place them. Uh, are, are you trying to make these food plots more centrally located on the property? Are you trying to push them to the outside so that your bedding could be more central? What does that look like for you? So, yeah, again, most of my properties are on that 40 acres on down. Every once in a while, I, I get a larger one, but I would say on average, it's 40 acres. And on, on these properties, when possible, what I would like to do is have food on one of the sides of the, the property and then have bedding towards the opposite side. And then just so you can have kind of that bedding to feeding movement. And on the small properties, you really do sometimes have to put that food close to the property border. Now, if you have a, a larger property, you have more of a buffer, which gives you more room to get around that food plot. But on a smaller property, you just can't do that sometimes. So, But I don't like to get much closer than about 50 yards. So like if you have a guy who he maybe has a 20 acre property and it's only 200 yards wide, you know, I, I still don't want to have, I want, I want that food plot about 50 yards away from each property border. Like if, if you have a food plot on each side of the, of the uh, one end of the property, I don't want those food plots any closer if possible than about 50 yards, just so to allow the hunters to get around it. Cause if it's adequately screened, you can get around a food plot. You, you can get pretty close to deer without spooking them. As long as your wind isn't going in that direction, you have clean access, you know, you, you should be able to get relatively close you're within 50 yards without spooking those deer. Okay. That, that was actually going to be my, my next question is, you know, how, how close can you be moving to these plots? Because I mean, obviously we don't want to, we don't want to bust deer out of them in the evenings when we're, when we're exiting the property, we don't want to run deer from them in the mornings when we're trying to get onto a property and, Right. Uh, you know, I, I think what you just described there, you know, we've got food on one end, we've got bedding on one end, and we want to kind of maybe hunt that travel in between a, a lot of the times. And that, yes, absolutely creates that, that depth of cover piece and all of that, but it can create some real challenges. You know, if your thought is, well, I need to be 200 yards away from that food plot, it's like, well, looks like you're not hunting this morning. You know, if if you think that you can't get within right. 200 yards of a food plot, you know, at four thirty, five o'clock when you're walking in, well, 
you're just uh you're just not hunting this property in the mornings yeah a lot of times like it can be very difficult sometimes if, if you are starting with uh 40 acres and it's nothing but open hardwood so you can see from one side to the other it's hard to uh describe what it's going to look like in the end you, you really need to like you have to it, done it a, a few times to to see it and it's hard to sometimes explain to the landowner but a lot of times when you have elevation change and you can hide food plots within uh you know maybe along the side of a hill and you know the hill is maybe your screen you can just let that you can kind of visually show them you can hide on the other you can walk on the other side of that hill you know, come up to your stand location and, and they're not going to see you. As long as you can maybe edge feather a little bit along the outside as well, you know, you can look at this food plot, make sure there's no deer in there before you climb up into your stand or uh, exit, uh, depending on the time of day. But yeah, yeah. you definitely want to make sure that, that you uh, have the, the food plot screened off uh, if you're going to get, you know, within 50 yards of, yeah. of, of that food plot. Yeah, and you've mentioned there a couple of times, a couple of different things. You know, screening using the terrain. So now I want to jump over into uh, the actual design and shape of that food plot. There's a lot been made. If you just look online, there are hourglass shapes, there are boomerang shapes. There's like all the things, and this shape or that shape promises to be like the thing that's going to fix your shot opportunities because you're not getting shot opportunities with your bow. But if you plan it like this, you're definitely going to get your shot opportunities. And I think that yeah. there are the ways. The clickbait title food plot, yeah. What's that? <laughs> I was saying, like, yeah, the, the clickbait title, like the, you, know, you, be, you better plant your food plot like this, otherwise you better not even go out. That's right. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And I'll be honest with you, some of that is true in my, in my experience. Yeah. Like some of that is, is there for a good reason. Some of it is kind of just like, mm, nah, you know, and, and I think a lot of that, though, may have to do more with the design of the of the food plot and 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 what other what I would call accessories you know you put along with the food plot whether that be edge feathering whether wherever your travel corridors come in where your bedding is located like there's a lot of other things that go into that so why don't you talk to me a little bit about kind of your favorite shape structure size for food plots and and with whitetail partners we've got several different i guess tricks up our sleeve when it comes to um, the way we design food plots, we've got a couple of different kinds, essentially, that we'll put on a property. So walk me through uh, how you right. like to set these up. So, like, for me, it kind of uh, depends on where the food plot's going to be on the property and how the deer movement, how, how am I trying to move deer through that part of the property? Is it uh, more, is it a, a food plot that's, um, you know, maybe more of a staging plot right before a, a larger food plot? You know, is it more of a, like a, a, a trail? Am I just like leading them, them there at that point? Then it'll just be kind of more of a, a long winding food plot. Uh, uh, I, I really like to use food plots to kind of like maybe on one, one end of the property, you can kind of use them to maybe hook the deer around with uh, kind of like a, a half or a crescent moon uh, or like a, like a big C you can kind of just like use, use food plots to kind of uh, move deer around. Yep. Uh, the, the hourglass isn't bad. I, I don't really use that design a whole lot, but I, mean, I, I get the concept behind it. You're really trying to pinch these deer down right in front of your stand location. And what they're going to do is they're going to follow the edge of the food plot and they're going to come right to the, the point there on, on both sides. So it, it narrows it down to hopefully give you a shot opportunity. Uh, you know, I, I get the concept of like with my designs, there's, I just don't really have a whole lot of, uh, I guess, opportunity to, 
to incorporate that one. For me, it's, it's a lot of a uh, winding trail plot, uh, using like maybe like a, uh, the, the crescent moon to, to kind of loop deer around. What I'm trying to do a lot of times with my plans on these smaller properties is really, really, uh, influence where these deer are moving. And so that, that goes right into the design of the food plot. And so I'm really trying to steer these deer. They're not big, wide open food plots. These are smaller plots, uh, maybe uh, flanked with switchgrass to just show like basically to have cover on the side, nice soft cover, but basically uh, influence how these deer are, are moving around. Another one that I like, um, if we're starting to get into like a larger food plot would be like the turkey foot design. I really like that one. Uh, because you can kind of sit on one end of that thing, kind of where the spur would be. Mm-hmm. And then you can just like look down, look down the toes of that turkey foot. And you can have deer coming into that with, you know, it doesn't have to be exactly like a turkey, but you have winding food plots. But that'll um, allow you to have multiple shot opportunities down these different lanes. And uh, these deer can't see each other. So if it's a larger food plot and you're holding, you know, multiple doe family groups in this food plot, they can't really see each other if they're down these different lanes. And so th- that's another thing that I, I make sure that I do too. E- even if it's uh, what I would say, like, like more of a wide or just a, a normal food plot, like it's a clearing in the woods and it's on one side of the property that the, the landowner really wants to plant this as a food plot. It's like, okay, we'll, we'll make sure that this food plot can stay. I'm still going to break that food plot up with some sort of uh, screening. So it might be, um, I might plant, uh, shrubs in there or I, I maybe uh, soft mass plantings that'll help break things up a little bit. But a lot of times I'll use switchgrass like with, within the food plot just to break things up to help compartmentalize it so we can reduce the sight lines of these deer, reduce the stress level, and also w- during the rut make these bucks work a little bit more. Hey guys, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge, making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that's a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions in the past, you know how frustrating it can be to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with a 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. Yeah, man, that's, that is something that is so critical and it, it goes against, um, at least what I had always thought and was taught when it comes to food plots and food plotting, you never sacrifice square footage in that field. <laughs> you always maximize, you want to plant every square inch of that thing that you can possibly plant. I've moved away from that. I've moved into, uh, you know, switchgrass plantings. I really like to have, you know, down here in the South, I really, really like to have pollinator blends, you know, in like my turkey yeah, foot yeah. food plots. Love having those wedges that aren't planted as food plot, uh, you know, between the toes of the turkey foot, if you if you think about it like that. I love having blends yeah. and pollinator plantings and all kinds of stuff up into there because that's providing high-quality forage during during a, a prime time of season as well as 
doing everything that you said, you know, lowering the stress on those deer, allowing me to hold more deer in that food plot than they may normally put up with, but also making the bucks work at it just a little bit. So tell me about your, um, when it comes to, you know, the, the things that you're going to add to the food plot, whether that be screening, whether that be shrubs or fruit trees or, or whatever that is, tell me about how you go about, uh, setting that up and designing it, you know, all of this functions kind of as a system, right? So you don't want to just go throw a random shrub in the middle of a plot. So how are you going to, how are right. you going to set this up so that it's all working together to hopefully increase shot opportunities and hold deer for longer? So with the, uh, with the screening, I, I really try to like, uh, what, what you said, like pollinators are a great addition to the food plot. I try to have my screening like with the switchgrass more to the outside because yep. the the deer are not going to eat the switchgrass. And yep. so on the inside, if I want to make, if it's open hardwoods, maybe have some edge feathering and then just to knock down the sight lines, but also on the inside screen, the pollinator blend, because yeah. like exactly what you said, it's also a food source. That's it's also a great screen. Gives that nice soft edge. Those deer can kind of work their way through at any time. They're one jump away from getting away from uh, danger. Yeah. So I love the switchgrass for the outside. I love the pollinator blend a lot of times for the inside. Mm-hmm. And then for the, uh, the other additions to the food source to try to increase shot opportunities, uh, again, would be uh, switchgrass, but more like uh, you're using it to pinch down the food plot, very similar to the hourglass. So how you'd maybe have the hourglass where it pinches down in the middle, you can use switchgrass to do that. But it doesn't have to be the hourglass shape. You can use a lot of different shapes. If you have the... Um, this is, this is an open field. You could have lines of switchgrass pointing right back at your stand location. And what that's going to do is the deer could very easily walk right through that switchgrass. Uh, it's, it's a nice soft edge, but a lot of times what they do is they walk the edge of the switchgrass and they come around the, the top of it or the bottom of it, where, wherever you, where, however you're looking at the plot. Yeah. So you can use lines of switchgrass just to try to direct deer movement a little bit uh, around your food plot. Uh, when it comes to soft mass plantings, you, uh, I, I try to make sure that, you know, these are within bow range, crossbow range, firearm range, whatever the landowner is going to be using to hunt the property. Um, but you also need to make sure you're looking into the future with, with these, like you don't want to just put this, uh, tree right in the middle of your food plot because in 15 years, that tree is going to get big and now you're not going to be able to see behind the tree. Yeah. So you, you might just have just eliminated what was a great shot opportunity, you know, a hundred yards away with a rifle and you're, you're, uh, right now the tree's at 25 yards, you know, for a bow shot. But in, in 15 years now that, that rifle shot's gone, you still have your bow shot, but your rifle shot's gone. Yeah. So you need to like think about that. So where I like to put those, uh, uh, soft mass plantings would be, uh, it, for the turkey foot example, w- would kind of be uh, near the, uh, I, I guess where the all the toes come together a little bit, where you so you kind of uh, you can still see down the lanes, but you kind of are, are wrapping the corner there with those soft mass plantings. Mm-hmm. Yep. If, if that makes sense, so that way you're not you're not obstructing the view of the of the food plot. Yeah. And I, I might have maybe you put one of them right in the middle. Or, or, or you, probably not a, maybe, maybe not a soft mass. Maybe you put like a scrape tree right out in the middle just to get those deer to come a little bit closer to the, the stand location on the outside. But yeah, those soft mass plantings a lot of times will be, um, in a, in a, in a location that, that doesn't impede the, the, 
a shot opportunity. Yeah. But it's still within bow range. For sure. So I just want to double back on one point that you made because it's a good point and one that needs to be emphasized, I think, just real quick. Um, you know, pollinator blends and all kinds of other stuff. It's great to have that in there. Don't put those where you don't want deer to be. <laughs> you know, if you if it's near right. your access, if it's right up against your blind, if it you know, whatever the case may be, use the switchgrass. Use something else. You know, if you're down here where where I'm at, you can use a a blue stem mix, let's say, and you know do uh, in in effect get a lot of the same kind of benefits from that without ending up having deer three feet from your blind or having deer cross your trail where you're, you know, where you have just walked in because we don't want to try to alert the deer. Talk to me a little bit about food plot design, stand placement, blind placement, and all of that to minimize disturbance in the property because it doesn't do us a lot of good if we have a food plot that is in the right place, a food plot that's got the right architecture, so it's got the shape, everything that it needs to have to guide deer through the plot exactly like we need them to. But every time we hunt the plot, we scare the deer out, whether on our entry or on our exit or we're getting picked off or something like that. So what are you doing to minimize uh, deer-human interactions in these food plots, at least negative deer-human interactions that we don't want to have? Right. And the the biggest thing would be screening. Uh, You want to make sure that the property – you want to almost screen everything off. Everything yeah. needs to be screened, whether that's a food plot, a travel corridor, your access bedding, it all needs to be screened. And screening can be a lot of different things. It, it could be the switchgrass. It could be just, you know, high stem count cover. So as you work on the timber on the property, start taking more trees and over time, more sunlight gets in there, the property gets thicker. It's harder to see through that area. So you, you know, that that'll screen off the deer. But yeah, the, the biggest thing for sure is to make sure that when you're walking around that food plot that you can't see into that food plot and the deer that are in that food plot can't see out. And also how are you leading the deer from the bedding areas to that food source? And now we're kind of getting into the the property design a little bit, but I mean, you, you want to make sure that you have your access established first. How are you going to get it, you know, around the property? Okay. Now that we have that set up, now we can start figuring out how we want to, you know, what's a good bedding location? What's a good uh, food source location? And how can we lead these deer from the bedding areas to the food sources without being seen uh, from our access path? And then we can come in from that access path to look into that movement. So that, that's kind of the, the, the really short summary of, of what I'm trying to do when I'm on somebody's property is, is yeah, one, figure out access. Once we've got that nailed down, hopefully it's as close to the property borders as we can or can get. And then we try to figure out, you know, what's the best place for a food source? You know, where do these deer want to go? Uh, for me, a lot of times it's those smaller properties. So we're primarily putting in these staging plots, these holding plots before they head off to the neighbors. And then after that, okay, where do these deer want to bed? Where can we start thickening things up a little bit to increase the probability of having them bed there? And then let's connect the dots with, with deer movement yeah. with, the, with the trails. So let's uh, let's talk just a little bit when it comes to something that it's come up a couple of times, but edge feathering in, in a plot, and maybe a couple of other things um, that help accentuate daytime movement. Because in our plans, uh, we're not necessarily designing food plots as the place for you to hunt every afternoon, but the right. reality is that's what a lot of hunters are going to do. 
uh, no matter how many times we say, hey, look, please hunt this once or twice in, in a season. Leave it alone. You know, uh, they're, they're probably going to hunt it a lot more than that just because they're, they're nice spots to hunt. It, you can see, a, you can see yeah. really well. You're going to see a lot of deer. You know, they're, they're great spots to hunt. One, one thing that, that is, becomes very important, though, if, if, if food plots are playing into your hunting strategy, as in you're going to be hunting the, the plot itself, daytime movement. So what are the things we can do besides edge feathering? Maybe talk a little bit about how you go about edge feathering, but what you can do to increase daytime movement in your plots. So a couple things with how to increase daytime movement. One, you need to make sure these deer are bedded close to those food plots so they can actually get to those food plots. You're talking about you want daytime movement in your food plots, right? Okay. So there's always going to be daytime movement towards the food plots, but you sure. want to make sure they can get there on time if you want if you want to hunt the food plots. And so that's where you want to start layering the bedding. You know, close like you want to put some bedding as, as close to the food plots as you can uh, without being able to without spooking the deer when you're accessing around it. But the closer you have bedding to the food sources, the shorter distance that those those deer have to go, and you will have daytime movement. Again, that that frees up the property more for more deer, so you can have you know, more daytime movement from more deer. You yeah, know? yeah. But um, and then with edge feathering with, with food plots, like we, we really you really want to try to again screen everything off so that the deer in the food plots they, they can't really see out one, so you don't have to worry about uh, getting nailed when you're trying to access your property. But but two that allows them to feel much safer. Like mm-hmm. they don't feel safe in that wide open field that there's a reason that they're hanging out in these smaller food plots, you know, just adjacent to that big wide open field before dark, they feel much safer. And, and so what, what edge feathering does is it's uh, a tactic basically for dropping trees, either traditional felling trees or hinge cutting trees uh, along the edges of your food plots to really create kind of a, a mix between a hard edge and a soft edge. Uh, a lot of properties have just wide open hardwood. So if you were to put a food plot in the middle of the woods, you can see a hundred yards back into the timber. But if you start dropping the trees along the edge of the food plot, now you can't see very far anymore. Now you can't see really probably, or hopefully the goal would be to the backside of those trees that you dropped. So that'll allow those deer to feel a lot safer in that food source. Now there's a difference between edge feathering in creating a blockade. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to drop every single tree with when you're edge feathering. Edge feathering is it's just like, like a feather. It's, it's, it's a soft edge. You want to make sure that there's still ways to get in and out of that food source. So if a deer is in that food source, like if they can jump out of there if they get in trouble. So, so, so switchgrass is a great uh, soft edge because the deer can just walk right through it. Right? They, there's, there's 100%. Like they can get through anywhere they want. With edge feathering, it's a, it's a little bit harder because there are there is a lot of obstacles in the way. But because you're not dropping every single tree and you're still leaving ways for these deer to get out, they, they still feel safe and they don't feel like they're trapped. So the last thing you want to do is just knock every single tree down around your whole plot and uh, make a barricade and have one way in. And, and then those deer, they, that'll eliminate movement maybe altogether because they, yeah. they, just, they know that they're trapped and, and they'll feel claustrophobic. Yep. But so there's, there's a little bit of a balance there, but we, you want to try to yeah, cut the sight lines down, allow, make those deer feel very safe. That's going to allow you to hold more deer in your property because then you can start bedding opportunities as close as, as you can on, on the back side of that. Um, 
and then also allow you to kind of uh, work around the outside. Uh, another thing that's very important for daytime movement is to not overhunt your property. Mm. That would probably be like ju- just as important as screening off a lot of the different improvements is you can't, you can't overhunt your property. You can't hunt the food plots, but you can't go in the food plot. A lot of times, uh, depending on the, on the size of the plot, if it's a holding plot, like throughout the night, a destination plot, you can't go in there in the morning. You can't walk in there and, and hop up in your stand in the morning when the deer are out there. You know, there's a, you got to make sure you're hunting the right stands at the right time of day and you're hunting during the right conditions. So just, yeah, just don't overhunt your property and you're going to see a lot more daytime movement. Yeah, man, that, that is huge. Like, you know, one of the, <clears throat> one of the biggest things guys can do is to just hunt their property a little more carefully and a little more sparingly. You know, it, it's so easy though to get locked into, well, man, every time I sit this spot, I see 15 deer. And so that's where I want to be every time because I feel like my chances of a big buck walking out there are better than they are anywhere else. And that may be true, but every time you hunt that spot, your chances of a big buck walking through there go down a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And I know, you know, obviously there, there are two really, or three really great times, depending on where you're at, uh, to, to kill a mature buck. Early season can be a really, really good one. Right there, pre-rut, during the rut can be really, really good. Uh, if you're up north, I feel like that late season's really good as well. Late season's a little tougher down here because... Yeah, those late season food sources. Yeah, yeah. Late, late season food sources down here are just... I don't know, man. It's kind of a joke. Like, you're just not going to... The deer, it, it's just... It's the best time of year. Everything's still growing, you know? <laughs> and, uh, right. Yeah, you don't even have a winter down there. <laughs> no, there's still food everywhere. All the acorns are still left over. Yeah. So, um, talk to me just a, just a, a touch on uh, the process of, of doing the edge feathering. You, you mentioned felling trees... Am I gonna? F- there's a there's a way that that I've I've done it and 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 have found a lot of success. I want to hear how you do that, how it relates to your screening that you're putting in, and how are you felling the trees? Are you filling them into your field, back away from your field, parallel with your field? What does that look like? So I normally don't fight tree lean. So yep. when now if it's a, if it's a smaller tree, I can pull over with the habitat hook, no problem. But a lot of times, if the tree is leaning a certain direction, I'm going to drop it that way. And so initially, a lot of those trees are reaching for sunlight into the food plot. Yep. And so the, the first thing that I'll do with edge feathering is I'll drop a couple trees into the food plot. You now, if this is a small food plot and, and you're dropping, you know, you just drop that tree halfway into the food plot, you might have to cut some trees up or maybe drag some back into the into the timber. You don't want a lot of these you don't want the trees to take up your whole food plot. And then, like you said, you don't want to lose press precious, uh, food plot acreage. Sure. So depending on the size of your plot, you might have to do that, but I'll drop the first couple of trees, like, yeah, towards the sunlight into the food plot. But then I like to try to maybe drop some trees the other way. And then I kind of, uh, I guess start cutting a little bit higher as I go into the timber. So I, I'll start first with lower cuts because that's really going to cut down the sight lines of those deer. Like if you, if you cut a, uh, a tree higher, especially with hinge cutting, like a lot, a lot of the smaller trees were hinge cutting. If you hinge cut a tree high, they're going to be able to see underneath that cut. And that kind of defeats the whole purpose of, of screening if they can see under it. So I, I try to start with a lower cut and then work my way up to a little bit of a higher cut. And then how far am I going back in the timber? You know, that, that really, uh, it probably varies. It, it could be, 
15 yards. It could be 20 yards, probably not much more than that, you know, but you're just kind of, you're trying to drop a couple of trees to, to, um, uh, just yeah, screen off that food plot and then, uh, make sure you're cutting down those sight lines. But at the same time, you're not cutting down every tree and blocking off the entire side of the food plot to where those deer can't get out. But yeah. what you, what you can do is a lot of times you can maybe leave an opening, you know, 20 yards from your stand. And, and that's going to be one of the ways that those deer can get in. Yep. You know, so you might have, uh, four or five ways into this food plot and, and two of them are near stand locations, maybe on either side. So you can hunt both that food plot depending on the wind direction yeah and I, I that's a really good thing to maybe mention as well um you can like if things get a little wacky and you're like oh I, I made a i made a bowl in here you know this is a fence all the way around this food plot you can go back in there yep. and you can make ways like don't be afraid to to go and cut straight through something that you just did um in order to allow you know four five six even routes in and out of this food plot. I know a lot of guys really, especially I, I've seen it a lot down here in the South. They want one way in one way out, uh, on these food plots. And it's like, that's going to hamper your daytime movement. It just, it just really is like the deer are not going to want to, to use that. I mean, why would they walk into a place where, first of all, you know, if you, if you cut too much around it, all of a sudden you've got these brush pile type things around the edge of the food plot, which are really layers for predators so you know bobcats right. coyotes all that kind of stuff and then they've got one way in one way out yeah i don't think they're uh i don't think that's going to spell yeah, they're, good they're things. boxed in that's right that's yep. right the uh like the, the food plot architecture from a like a safety standpoint is very similar to travel bedding like you want to make sure that whatever improvement you're working on a deer can come in and, and they have multiple ways to get out now i would say most of the time with food plots that happens more often than not on, on its own. Like when you're creating bedding, you have to make it a point to go in there and make these exits, make these escape routes because yeah. a lot of times they're blocked. Same thing with travel. If you're knocking down a lot of trees to promote this one travel route, you need to make sure they can get off, get away to the side with, with food plots. A lot of times you're with edge feathering, knocking a tree down here or there to cut down sight lines. You're going to have a lot of different ways for these deer can get out. They can get through, uh, they can jump over a lot. Yeah. So you're, you're going to most of the time be, you'll be fine, but you, you just want to make sure that you're not, uh, if you do go crazy with the chainsaw and like you can't get through there very easily, then there's no way the deer is going to be able to get through and, and there's, they're probably not going to want to come in there at all. Yeah. Because like you said, if a, if a predator shows up, you know, they know that they're, they're going to have a hard time getting away and they're just not going to risk that. Sure. Sure. All right, so let's let's talk about I, I think what may be um, the thing on a lot of guys' minds at this point. We've talked a ton about placement and design, and we've talked about cutting and you know everything that that goes into designing these food plots. If I'm a guy just listening to this at home, I'm thinking, man, don't I need a lot of equipment for all this now? Like you've mentioned all this stuff, I gotta do. I, do I need to get a Genesis no-till drill, like those are thousands of dollars. Do I need a big tractor? That's going to run yep. me, you know. Uh, what what tools realistically does a guy need to have to have an effective food plotting strategy on his property? So really, uh, I think I started out 
with, uh, you're talking about like bare minimum food plot stuff right here. Like, like, uh, a chainsaw, uh, a backpack sprayer and a, a spreader. And that was it. You know, uh, if you have an area on the, the property that you want to put a food plot in that there's, it's in the timber, you're going to have to get the trees out of there some, somehow. So a chainsaw, excuse me. If, uh, if you have an area that's uh, like a wide open field, it's already, uh, it has a uh, with weeds growing, or maybe it's a, a food plot, or, or you know, a food plot already, but it's it's growing uh, uh, vegetation. You have to get the, the weeds out of there to plant your food plot. So that's where the backpack sprayer comes in, and then uh, the the seed spreader. You know, and really, you don't even need that. You could just grab yeah. the bag and throw it out with your hand too. But I mean, a, a seed spreader might be like thirty dollars. So I think it's worth worth doing that just for the the uh, the coverage and the. Uh, a little bit easier to do. So I'd say that'd be the, the bare minimum, you know, yeah. chainsaw backpack sprayer, and then the, the seed spreader. I, I use that for a long time. I mean, I, uh, just like with many of the other guys, you know, I don't have all kinds of money to throw at habitat improvements. You know, I have to budget it just like everybody else. And so like, you know, I'm going to tr- try to get by with uh, the bare minimum so I can spend my money on, on uh, you know, food plot seed, you know, switch grass isn't cheap. So you got to, you got to budget it out. And so I, I, I don't have the money to, to buy a no-till drill or a, a crimper or anything like that. I would, I would love it, but uh, that's just not in the cards right now. Yeah. So I have to. Uh, I started out with uh, yeah, just the the sprayer and the 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 spreader. But this, like those are, I would say, very important though, because if you don't if you just cut the trees down and you, ha- you, ha- you get the, to get the sunlight in, then you're going to have weeds grow. And if you don't address the weeds, then you can, I guess you could plant into the weeds. But the problem with that is, yeah, the we- a lot of guys will say, oh, well, weeds are deer food, which is true. Weeds are deer food, but during the summer. The problem is those weeds go dormant when we want to be hunting the deer. And so if you have a large percentage of your food plot growing when weeds, you know, come September that's going dormant and you might only have 40% of your plot producing for you now because 60% of it was weed. And during the summer that was okay, I guess, but now during the hunting season, it's not. Yep. So you need to make sure that you're addressing the weeds with that sprayer uh, throughout the summer. If you're planting in the fall. Yeah. Are, are uh, you... And then, yeah, the, the... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, and then the, the, the spreader, those are the other three, but yeah, but, are you ever burning your plots? So another, uh, you know, easy thing that guys can do, you go in and you, um, let's say it's a spot that's just really, really grown up. You have to go in there and, I mean, I've seen people use weed eaters. I've seen people use just a riding lawnmower. I've seen them, you know, use just about anything. Cut everything yep. down, get everything sprayed, and come back in. If you have a really thick layer of organic material on the ground, you can rake it all or you can just burn it all if you want to do that. Do you ever, do you ever burn yeah. your plots? So I've never burned my plots. I've done everything else. I've never used prescribed fire. But okay. You know, throughout my timber, food plots, switchgrass screens, that's the one thing that I have not done. Sure. And it really it just comes down to I'm a, I'm a chicken. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I'm afraid that it's going to get out of control. And then uh, it's going to, I'm going to have to call my neighbor and say, Hey, sorry, man, I, burned your property down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you well, know, so. and, and man, it's, 
you know, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. It's a lot easier to tell somebody else they should set their property on fire than it is to set your own on fire. Yeah. You know? like, I, I know that if I did it, it would be fine. You know, you put the right, you put the fire brakes in, you, you wait for the, a great day, you know, slowly back burn it and it, it would be fine. But I'm just, I know that the, the what, what I do, you know, uh, whether with mowing or, or chemicals or whatever, I can, I can, uh, as long as I do it at, at the right time of the year, sure. then I'm, I'll, I'll be just fine. But the biggest issue guys have when they have that big thatch layer is they wait to, um, uh, either mow their plot or they, they wait to spray their plot until too late in the summer. Those weeds have gotten really tall and they, they spray it and then they want to go, uh, plant and they just have that really thick layer of, uh, of thatch and then their seeds just can't get through that depending on what they're trying to plant. Yeah. So, but yeah, in that case, you, you will have to take the drag to it or the rake or, or, or burn it. I, I, I've seen guys, I've, I've, uh, I've been on properties where guys have burned and it's, uh, it, it, it's great. Like you're, you're left with nothing and it, it really revitalizes the soil and it, it just kind of explodes, especially switchgrass fields. Like if you burn one of those, it just explodes after that. Yeah. But, yep. um, yeah, that's one thing that I have not done. So one of the, one of the things I'm, I'm, I guess, curious about when it comes to, to planting these plots, one of the things that I have liked, if I'm establishing a brand new plot, right. Yep. I will go in and I will, and this is specifically for guys in the South. I mean, outside looks like July right now where I'm at. I mean, it is fully greened out. Like I had, so little story here. I went hunting, turkey hunting last, uh, Friday or Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I heard something that I thought was a gobble. So I texted a friend and said, I heard something that may not have been a gobble, but I need to set up on it anyway. I sit down and I call and I guess the turkeys had just turned towards me and they gobbled and they're less than a hundred yards from me. So like, that's how thick the foliage is here already. It's just thick and nasty. One of the things that I like to do because of the way things can, things can kind of get out of hand here really quickly in the South is to start spraying early, spray early in the season. And if it's a brand new plot, like, yeah, it could be sitting there producing deer food all summer long if you want to leave it in weeds and then come in later and, like you said, try to spray at the end of the season. That's really, really tough, though, like you mentioned. I'll spray early and I'll spray often. Spray every, you know, once yep. a month. You know, if, if you think about it, in the big scheme of things, you've sprayed three times, you know, throughout the course of a summer. By the time you get to the end of the year, you're not losing a ton of money necessarily. You didn't spend a ton of money on that, but you also don't have to deal with all the competition that you would have had if you'd waited until, you know, August to try to come in and spray everything. Do you ever spray any of yours early or are you kind of waiting a little bit later? You, you describe my exact process right there. Oh. So, I mean, up here, I wait a little bit later than you. I, yep. We had snow today. Like we, we can still frost <laughs> oh our food plots right now. <laughs> we can yeah. never frost so seed our food plots. We don't get frost. So yeah, <laughs> uh. yeah, it's, it's crazy. But, uh, yeah. So probably around mid May is normally when I would do my first spring and I would, I would hit it hard if it's a brand new plot. So this is a brand new area. Yep. I have yep. it prepared. I cut the trees down in the, in the winter or there's an area that's already open that I want to uh, convert into a food source. Uh, I'll, I'll do my first spring, you know, mid to late May, hit it, hit it with a two, four D and glyphosate. And then I'll wait a little bit and hit it again during mid summer. Again, same, 
say mix 2,4-D and glyphosate. And then I'll, I'll wait another uh, month or so. So that now we're start, starting to get into like that late July, early August time period. And I'll hit it again with just glyphosate. So the no 2,4-D because that'll stay in the soil. Sure. So what I'm doing, the, the reason you're, really that last time there's, there's not much left, but there's still uh, enough that you don't want to have creeping into your, your food plot. So you hit it one more time. And then really after that, uh, August 1st, I'm waiting for the first rain to broadcast my seeds. So that's, that's the timing here, at least for me in Michigan, is because that's like the 60 days from your first frost, you know, on average. So August 1st is when I want to be ready to plant. So I got to make sure that I time my springs up to where I can plant um, anytime after August 1st. Sometimes it doesn't happen until August 15, but I want to be ready by August 1st. Sure. We've got, man, we've got then, seed then, here. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, we've got seed here that we can't, we can't plant until after our hunting seasons have started sometimes. Like we've got, you know, different kinds of cereal rye or that kind of thing. You've got to push that into mid-October before you're realistically going to have the right conditions for, for planting that. Right. So. Otherwise it'll be way too tall, way too stemmy. Like they're, yep. they're not even going to touch it. Like yep. you want that stuff short. So yeah, you guys need to wait Yeah, yeah for us. Like my, like I'll, I'll plant my, food plots in August, like whenever I can get that rain. And lately it's been more towards mid August because we've always yeah. had kind of a, uh, a drought going on in, in late summer. But then I, I try to throw my, my rye down, uh, Labor Day. That's the last thing I do on my nice. property is throw the rye down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jake, man, very good. I, I had mentioned earlier, we might dabble in talking about specific seed selections and that kind of thing. But I've kept you for an hour already. I'm going to do a whole episode devoted to just that. So we'll skip that part. But, man, thanks so much for taking your time coming on the show. Uh, tell folks where they can find you because uh, you've got some pretty exciting stuff going on. Yeah, so you guys can uh, find me at uh, Whitetail Partners Michigan uh, Instagram. Uh, if you want to get, get a hold of me, uh, you can you know, send me a message on there. Otherwise, uh, I also run a YouTube channel, uh, Whitetail Evolution. Uh, we, we try to throw videos together of what we're doing uh, on, on our property here in uh, mid-Michigan. But, yeah, uh, feel free to reach out to me if you guys are yeah, in, in Michigan, Indiana, maybe northern Ohio looking to improve your property. I'd be more than happy to help you out. Awesome. And, hey, last question. Are you a turkey hunter? I am. I haven't been out this year, but okay. uh, they're, uh, they're outside <laughs> all the time. Nice. I'm just... When I work, I like look out the window to see if like if they're uh, if they're back outside. I, they they know they have me patterned. Like every time we drive up our driveway, they're 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 right around our house, yeah. and like I can see them like running away. It's like, you got to be kidding me, like <laughs> <laughs> you stupid turkey. Yeah, I saw what was that? Maybe a month or two ago, they really like your deer feeder. Your uh, not your deer feeder. Your uh, your uh, bird feeder. Bird feeder. Yeah, out there. Yeah, scratching yeah, around under have, it. They, they, yep. So. Yeah, that's empty right now because uh, the the chickens and, and the birds go at it like crazy. But every once in a while, yeah, those turkeys come up and they, they hit our bird feeder too. So I think right now what they're doing is they're checking to see if there's any left in there. But, uh, yeah, not right now. Yeah. Very good, man. Well, thanks for your time tonight. All right. Well, yeah, I appreciate it, Josh. Thanks for having me. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcast. If you could leave us a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. While you're at it, you can follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics that you want to hear, guests you want to hear from, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. 
Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show and help me bring you great content each and every week. If you're looking for more outdoor content, check out thesportsmansempire.com where you're going to find my other podcast, The Wisconsin Sportsman, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts.